0: Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner.
1: everyone and welcome back to every other thursday this is our podcast that we do strangely enough every other thursday and this is episode number 34 and it's being recorded the week of march 4th 2021 i'm dave i'm your host here at every other thursday and like always i'm here with my colleagues jay alley and greg kears hi guys how are you doing today very good good it's march hey baby it's march almost springtime what's going on
2: i'm in a bathing suit
1: you're in a bathing suit. Good yeah, I'm thing trying we can't, to get
2: the season. I'm trying to get summer rushed in. Beautiful wow. sunny day in Chicago.
1: <laughs> I, I'm glad that uh, there's no visuals. This is a pod, an audio podcast. Yeah, it's pretty scary. A, hey, but, it, you know, that's really crazy, though. I mean, to think that uh, the first day of spring is it's just a few weeks away. That is pretty crazy for me. And I think it's been a, a crazy winter, obviously. You guys holding up all right?
3: Yep. Another blurs day, uh, but uh, we're getting by. There you go. There you go. Hey, today, today is just
1: the three of us. And I want to tell you, and uh, and especially to our, to our listeners, I want them to know that as much, and and by the way, you guys all know that I love having our guests. Our guests are some of the most fascinating people uh, that I could imagine. But I also love it when it's just the three of us, too, because that allows us to catch up and see how everybody's doing and and give our thoughts whatever. But on today's episode, I want to talk about some of the guests that we've had because just just since – I mean, Nancy Cruz was unbelievable. And you say, where do you go from there? But since Nancy Cruz – was on. We've had Russ Finch, we've had Eileen Garcia, and Greg Traverso. He he, the travel company that Greg has, Greg Traverso has uh, Matamo Travel. That's just that's a, that's amazing. All three of those guests, though, individually and collectively, just blew me away.
3: Agreed, agreed. I mean, what what? And you're inspirational, inter, entertaining. What more could you ask for?
1: When we can travel again and go out to the NRA show, I think we've got to definitely. Definitely go to Eileen Garcia's restaurant, Buena Terra. That sounds like a, a great place. And I, and I think her hospitality would be just awesome. So It's great having her on board as well. And then to later today, after we talk about our guests a little bit, because I, I want to spend a little bit of time on each one of them, Russ, uh, Eileen, and, and Greg. But I also want to talk, Jay, you've been traveling a little bit. And I want to talk a little bit about Florida. You were down in the great state of Florida, the Sunshine State. So
2: Exactly. It was a great time.
1: Yeah, is that is it is as much the wild west as uh it seems to be on every tv show that i see um
2: it, it was it was pretty busy and they were they were being very careful so we'll, you know we can get into that when we, we focus yeah. on it a bit. but yeah yeah it was it was it was good it was it was actually very refreshing to see the economy working and to see things going on there the first time though the, the people we stayed with they go to this place called the seagate hotel it's it's a really a it's not huge, but it's really upscale in Delray. You can sit at the bar. I walked Yay. up to the seated at the bar, and I was a little, I said, "Can I really sit down here?" Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that anywhere else that I've been. Not in Pennsylvania. Not in Massachusetts. No place. So.
1: Wow. Well, I want to hear all about your trip and what, what was good, what was uh, what surprised you and, and some of those other pieces that because I think I think for those of us that are in places where uh, like Chicago or in Maryland where I am and or especially if you're in a place like New York City where everything's just kind of really just locked down tight. And I even saw um, the other day in Paris. Now, they've got a 6 p.m. curfew for the next two weeks in Paris. And, and I'm thinking like, here's a city like Paris, just locked down. You can't go anywhere. Nothing public open after 6 p.m. at night. That's going to be crazy. So uh, I want to hear all about Florida. But first, we're going to get the general business out of the way. And as always, this week's episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is a place where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. So with that business out of the way, let's get this uh, roundtable conversation started. Okay, in our conversation about our recent guest, I want to start this off, Greg, with your buddy, Russ Finch. And what a great, great concept he's got, growing oranges in Nebraska. And just for the record, anybody have any idea how cold it is today in Nebraska?
3: I don't know today, but I do know that just a couple of weeks ago, it was 21 below zero Fahrenheit. Ooh. And they're still growing oranges and citrus in Nebraska. So his yeah, concept seems to be working. Do you know if they're growing limes down there? Because
1: there's a lot of gin distilleries that have opened up in the last year or so. And I bet that the big demand for limes these days.
3: I don't know specifically whether there there's limes or not. I suspect there are, but I do know there's a lot of lemons and oranges and different types yeah. of citrus that he's got going there. I've actually picked them off the trees in his greenhouses in late October, the day after a snowstorm. I visited him in the panhandle of Nebraska to see if it, if it was for real, and it certainly is.
1: Wow. Wow, it's, his website is greenhouseinthesnow.com for those who want to go check it out. But I'd, I'd invite you to go listen to Russ Finch on our episode. They, Russ is an amazing guy, and he and he's no spring chicken.
3: And how old did he say he was? I think he's eighty nine. Isn't that correct? Unbelievable. He may be the youngest eighty nine year old that I know. Yeah, really, really. But you know, I think what's what was that drew us to this you know concept is that you know what we're trying to do here, folks, is entertain but also provide information to uh, food service operators and suppliers and here's a concept that might seem distant but i before the pandemic there was a there was a lot of big movement towards hoteliers and restaurants having their own gardens local sourcing rooftop gardens that type of thing well here's a here's a incre- incredible opportunity that uh, once it's installed basically operates literally for pennies a day and like i said it, it, everybody needs to check it out for themselves but i flew out there and t- took a look and just was amazed it's, it's just it's, it's the real thing it seems to be working what
1: really Russ and his partners do is they sell the greenhouse concept, and and they grow them there. They're not about the the the, the citrus fruits or any of the flowers or whatever inside. They're about the the actual greenhouse. Yeah, the dwelling, the shelter, or whatever you want to call it. There, and I was amazed at uh, the the cost of running that thing that he said was it was literally pennies, like you say, a day.
3: Yeah, it's just once you get once you get the thing set up, and he is using the um, the warmth the earth but it's a very simple process it's not dealing with the liquids like a lot of heat exchangers do it's just purely driving air through tubes underground with a solar-powered fan
1: yeah and I, don't, I don't remember how far it was you get to go down on the ground but the ground evidently is a constant 56 or something like that degrees all year round if you go down six or eight feet or whatever it is
3: so yeah, something like that. And, and depending upon what part of the country you are, you're in, you might have to go down a couple of feet farther. But it's really that simple. You just bury tubes down that far, that deep, and then just uh, have a long dwelling, for lack of a better term, and uh, have the uh, have them connected on both ends, creating a big loop, and just keep on driving this air around this loop, and you you're able to grow bananas in Montana. People are doing that. Bananas in Montana.
2: It proves one point: you can you can be still full of hot air and be very successful. <laughs>
3: there you go. There you go.
1: <laughs> or, or better yet, when we all pass on to that that uh, eternal life uh, that lies ahead, uh, when they stick us six or eight feet down in the ground, we won't need a heavy coat, just a sweater. That's
3: it. There well, you go. Russ uh, mentioned when I first contacted him a couple years ago that I, that he was hoping that this concept would because it's so efficient and it works so well that he was hoping that it would save a lot of small towns on the great plains and in the midwest they're kind of if kind of if, pardon the pun drying up and withering away and so if you could come in with this kind of concept where we have the sunshine yep. and we have the soil why why not the only thing that was holding us back was the cost of energy to heat these greenhouses well he's overcome that and so this could be a, a great you know I, I might you know i don't think i'm overextending by saying it could be a great concept for food for food service operation well, think about this think about
2: why couldn't you do the same thing and heat a home what you'd, you'd probably have to do is just find a way before that air exits at some what? point in the process heat it up to a certain degree you know which would be a lot cheaper probably than taking it from 30 degrees outside and making it a 70-year house. Yeah. You take it yep. from the mid-50s, heat it to 65, 70, and you're done. And then air conditioning is just
3: circulating the air. Well, he, that's exactly what he's done. He's heated his home with the same concept. I don't know if he's extended it to other residences or not, but the concept for the uh, greenhouses is certainly working. And also, it's actually cools too because you're striking this balance at at the 54 or 56 whatever it is temperature that comes out of comes out of the ground so in areas like in the desert of the persian gulf region he's talking to people that where the air would come in and actually act as a cool as a cooler that's
2: what i was saying you could i mean i don't know what it comes out of our current air conditioning events but i don't think it's much colder than that it seems real cold in the summer when it's nighty out but uh, you know
1: yeah and I think that you know it's uh, you just need some real estate too so the, the real estate has to be affordable cuz the the greenhouses I can't remember the size
3: but seemed like they were pretty big they're modular so you can make them as long i guess as long yeah. as you as you want yeah. i think for each greenhouse i think the limit if i if i'm not mistaken the limit that one circular path of these tubes will work on is 102 feet
2: Yeah, because he was he was talking to us about one i think that was 70 some feet long and then however wide they are
3: but you can, and then you can. But you can, of course, make them smaller. And it's my It's. It's. I think it's either in six foot or twelve foot segments. We recommend that people go to his site to take to take a look.
1: Yeah, that site again is greenhouseinthesnow.com. Russ Finch, what a cool guy!
3: And he's talking about restaurateurs that are uh, putting these in in certain parts of the country where they can't get decent produce, and so all of a sudden they're growing Mediterranean produce in Nebraska. Yeah. Yep. Yeah year-round. Cool concepts.
1: People want to know that that the the products that they're serving in their restaurants or people eating in the restaurants, they want to know that the products are local, they want them fresh. uh, And if you can grow them nearby, you have less transportation costs, less carbon footprint kind of thing. I think it's really a a, a great concept. And you're right, it may be early in the trajectory of that business, but I suspect that business is going to continue to grow. No pun intended. Or maybe all puns intended, what the hell. (laughs) But Russ is a great guy and amazing that he's doing this at this
3: point in his life, huh? And so we recommend that you go back and listen to our podcast where we interview him.
1: Yeah, that was uh, not that long ago. It's a, but what a, what a cool guy he was to have on. And then speaking of cool people, Eileen Garcia, in your neck of the woods, Greg, out in Chicago town.
3: An inspiration. What a nice lady. Absolutely. Yeah, nice
1: lady, passionate, and all about the hospitality piece. A heck of an entrepreneurial story.
3: Yeah. She was the general contractor. How cool is that? Talk about can-do. Jesus. So you know, we hear all the the stories about uh, operations closing down and all the hardships, and and we get it. I mean, life is really tough out there. But in, but here she is, looking forward and to expansion and improvement plans. So it's it's very again insp- inspirational, and I hope that our our interview with her gave some um, tips for people that. Are, are looking forward with their operations.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm still blown away by that testimonial, that Reddit testimonial that the lady did, who I think it was three, three different times Eileen had... Taken care of this woman. Once when she was getting her job interview, second time when she just needed a break from uh, pulling her hair out with her kids, and, and Eileen took the baby and said, I know how to make uh, crying baby stuff. I mean, and, and one more time when uh, she just needed a place to go, and like, she brought her into the restaurant, or she had her car. That's what it was. She had her car parked, and she had left her wallet at home, and Eileen paid for the parking for her car. The testimonial itself was incredible. But then to hear Eileen say she never really met the person but she remembers her that, i mean that's just crazy so tell a little bit about the restaurants that she's got buena terra and hearth and crust a little bit about those are so, so our listeners who haven't maybe listened to that episode I and mean, you need to go back and
3: listen to eileen garcia but tell about the restaurants well one of the, the i guess the striking things about them there's these are neighborhood restaurants and they're not in the in the central you know commercial districts they're off if of, off the uh, proverbial beaten pass they were um pioneer operations one is in uh, buena terra is in the logan square area that uh, i don't think anybody would be insulted if i said it was several years ago was rather sketchy
1: jay that's like you and i are a little bit sketchy
3: it's it's gentrifying they, they were the first people in with these places and i contend that one of the things that's uplifted the neighborhood is her operation you know having having a Having a, a dine-in restaurant like that, obviously from its name, Italian theme, it's attracted. You, people want to move to someplace where there's hospitality like that. It's something That
1: so often happens is that you take a, and use your word sketchy, a transformational neighborhood or whatever. And so often it's the restaurateurs who are the first ones in. And they, they, they bring the neighborhood to life and make people, they bring people in, money in from the outside, the na- outside the area, they make it hospitable. If you're a developer, you cannot build a building or an apartment building, a condo building or whatever. You can't build them without having good restaurants right around the corner, or in fact, even in the building. It's almost, you never sell the apartments or never sell the condos. So restaurant tours really, and, and then as that always happens, the rents go up and restaurants have to move to other neighborhoods
3: and bring those back. Yeah, she mentioned she mentioned that as uh, as the neighborhood started coming up, more competition came in and uh, yeah. although she was the first one there, you start losing a couple of diners to the competition every every day or every week yeah, that and was it a good and point. It, starts, it starts adding up. The other operation Hearth and Crust, if I recall correctly, you know, they bought a building, she she was the general contractor that fixed it up and she she was talking about having dirt floors in part of it originally. originally. Yeah. I mean, so it takes, it takes a lot to move forward and faith in yourself and faith in the community and, and a little luck and all that good stuff. It sounds like she's come through and, and looking towards better times ahead.
1: Yeah. Buena Terra. Hearth and Cross, two phenomenal neighborhood restaurants. And I would suggest that, I don't know if there's going to be an NRA show or not this year. I, they continue to say it hasn't been canceled yet, but it's hard to see it happening, actually. But but it, it, either it happens this year or next year. Uh, people going out for, uh, I know we have a lot of listeners who are going to be attending the NRA show. I, I would tell you to take a look at Buena Terra or Hearth and Cross. If you want to go for some great hospitality and then get off the beaten track and, and really see uh, a... a Uh, part of the city of chicago so i I, and and meet eileen Uh, she's phenomenal uh what a guest she was it was great having her but speaking of transformational the guy that blew me away and i wasn't expecting it so much is greg terverso from matamo travel greg you knew him a little bit before and you introduced us to him uh tell us a little bit about uh, what matamo travel is and, and if people haven't listened to that what kind of transformational journeys he takes people on
3: well, Greg is, uh, very, has been very focused on uh, Africa since I believe 1993 when he trekked, across, trekked and canoed across Africa, I think by himself for the most for the most part. And he's been back uh, 25 times round trips since then. And uh, what he's done is he's created a, uh, I think he's calling it a, 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 a journey company. Basically, for all of us civilians, a, a safari company where he puts together uh, travel itineraries and plans for people for what turns out to be, in most cases, the trip of a lifetime. Once you get there, he helps people to arrange airfare or air, air travel, but, he's, but he, he basically starts your trip from when you land there to when you leave. It sounds incredible what they do with all these different areas of East Africa and, and uh, seeing the wildlife and how you're taken care of and the hospitality and the food, which are the things that drew us originally to this story. But it's really much more than that. It's about hospitality, taking care of guests. Taking care of the world, taking care of the planet.
1: Yeah, that, that was a, that was an angle that I didn't really see coming uh, on that story, and that was that he talks about transformational journeys, and and immediately you go to well, you know, of course if you go to Africa, if you're living in Chicago or Maryland or, or Pennsylvania, you go to you go to Africa. It's going to transform you in certain ways, but he also talked about the transformation for the people who live in Africa that he would that work on his team there, and and what guests coming in bring to them too, besides just obviously the financials. But they, they change people's lives. And I, and I think that's, with all that's gone on with COVID and everything, and I know his business is kind of on pause a little bit, but uh, I'm interested to, I was also interested to hear the, about the interest in post-COVID travel on his. He's got a lot of interest. And I, and it's no surprise when you when you go to his website. He's got a, by the way, for people who, first of all, you should go back and listen to the episode. But if you haven't, he has an odd website, a, a URL address. It's matamo.travel, I believe.
3: M E T
1: A M O dot travel. Yeah, dot travel, not dot com, dot travel. Yeah. So that's cool. But anyway, it's an unbelievable website. And really, what a nice, I mean, all our guests are nice, uh, I have to say. Uh, Russ and uh, Eileen and Greg, but Greg fit right in there too. And, and and sometimes it's a little bit difficult to come on and talk about these sort of transformational things. But but Greg did a great job. He, he,
3: what a nice guy he was. And to compress it into like less than an hour, it's it's tough. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I really recommend somebody is anyone going back and listening to the episode. It's very it's 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 heart, it's heartwarming, and. For, I think there's nuggets in there for food service operators. Oh, yeah. To take away,
1: it was Greg's word, but transformational. When I look at all the th- the guests that we have, maybe that's a good word to to define. Uh, you know, Russ, Eileen, Greg Traverso, whatever, all of they, they provide transformational experiences. Uh, Russ transforming how you grow your citrus fruits, uh, Eileen transforming hospitality, transforming your day, your life in general. Whether neighborhood restaurants and certainly Greg taking people to Africa, unbelievable. So, speaking of transforming, Jay. I know you didn't trek or canoe across Florida, but when we come back from break, I want to talk all about Florida and the Wild West. Is it the Wild West or is it not right now? Or the Wild East. The Wild the East. The Wild East. And how did you get down? If it is the Wild West, how did you get out without getting arrested down there? That's that's what our listeners want to know, Jay.
2: Well, I put a disguise on my head and my horse. And I rode oh, no. it quietly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll be right back with more of every other Thursday.
0: This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to TabletopJournalNewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Welcome back,
1: everybody, to segment two of this week's episode of Every Other Thursday. We've been talking about hospitality transformation. We've been talking about wild adventures and uh, transformations and all that, and trekking and canoeing across the Africa. Even Jay, you uh, you went on a transformational journey just recently to Florida. What was that like? Well,
2: when I made the transition from York, Pennsylvania, to Delray Beach, that was the start of a smile on my face. <laughs>
1: ah did you thaw out a little bit
2: yeah exactly yeah it was great and uh, we drove down and that that was kind of neat and uh, got to stay in you know the hotel rates on the on the on the freeway off of 95 were all i think adjusted somewhat we we're staying at hampton inns for two nights and it was like 60 bucks a night so once we got there we stayed with friends that have a they have a beautiful condo right in the center of delray which makes it really lovely because you can walk to just about any place you want to go, but where we kind of hung out was right in in their area. One of the things that was interesting is we got off the highway and hit the the, the main road into Delray Beach. You, you get off ninety five and you go maybe three four hundred yards, and the restaurant row, which is pretty extensive, it goes all the way to the beach. You got to cross over the inland waterway, and it was really funny because you know we're coming from a spot where. At that time, I think I'm trying to, yeah, I think when we left to go, there was no indoor dining or it was just getting opened up in Pennsylvania to 25 or 50% or whatever it was. No sitting at the bars, no, none of that. You have to have a tape. You know, I really love it. I mean, you could sit in a bar in Pennsylvania and order a beer, but you got to order a set of, of some fries because, God forbid, the, uh, the, the COVID police come in and you're drinking a beer and not having a piece of food in front of you. I don't know what the relevance of that is. I don't know why that makes a difference, but. Going down there, it was business as usual. What was interesting is when we hit the city limits where the restaurant started, it was like this never closed. And it was a little bit scary there. And our friends don't venture up to that side of town because everybody was wearing a mask, walking on the streets and doing all that. But inside the restaurant uh, where you got six tops and four tops and these restaurants are not exactly enormous because they're right on the main road. It, it, there, it was a little hard to social distance.
1: Wait, I was going to say, how close was everybody in these restaurants you went to that were still open? The ones
2: that we wouldn't go to, like nothing ever happened. Now, the good news, bad news is is that's not good. I, I mean, now, when everybody gets up to go to the, to the restroom facilities or whatever, everybody puts a mask on. I didn't see anybody... I mean, it was rare to see someone walk toward a place and not have a mask on. And everywhere that you went, there was hand sanitizer and all that stuff. And then, you know, what was pretty obvious was as people were finishing whatever they were, were eating or drinking and getting up instantaneously, yeah. the tables were clean. So, the, the, you know, all of that stuff. So it, wasn't like
1: they, it was, so it wasn't like they weren't, uh, you know, doing nothing. They were no, doing no, no. The what only they could.
2: That, yeah, the only thing that made me a little nervous on, on, on that entrance part of Delray which is pretty congested. There were people right behind us because uh, there would be people like right there like would be normal. You know, so the thing is, it scares you a little bit. But at the end of the day, what, I, what was really apparent is because it's Florida and I've been to, to Delray several times at our friend's place is it's probably. Well, I could almost say it's 100 percent outdoor dining because every place is open. Sure. Since it's, a, it's pouring down rain and the winds blowing where they can't open the doors. All the restaurants have the patio doors open so most of the restaurant i mean there's fresh air flowing through it and all that which is i guess if you read the, the stats that you can't be in a better place that's probably why even though they have not not to pick on them a little bit but even though you that social distancing was a little bit of a question in part of the town it's still all outdoors and yeah. it's a healthy environment it's sunshine
1: and all of that stuff so and they're, and they're keeping everything clean with the sanitizer and cleaning the tables off when people yeah, absolutely yeah. wiping everything down yeah,
2: the place called the Seagate that we went to, I mean, it was, I mean, it was almost, they had to be like, they had to restrain themselves when you got up from the bar. Cause you get up from the bar, put your mask on to go to the restroom. You come back, you can tell that they had cleaned your place. They they had straightened your napkin and you might have some chicken wings on the bar or whatever it was. Somebody was there and they, they affected that surface. So yeah, they were, they were doing all the, the good stuff. And you know, I mean, I, I know Florida's numbers are really good. I was just listening to it this morning on the news. I mean, I, and, and it's, it's really kind of interesting because now that I think across the country, I, and I don't know how, how much you guys watch news, but it seems like most of the country now is starting to go down pretty noticeably, less deaths, less hospitalizations. You don't hear much of that. You know. Prior to this, one extra person went on to the numbers. It was national news. So I hope that you know, uh, the news media in this country will start to really, really look at it correctly and say, hey, we still got to be careful. My guess is you're still going to have to be careful for at least another year. But uh, you're going to be able to survive. And it, 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 The thing that was really phenomenal, and we've talked about it on this show, was, again, when you, when you go from moderate opportunity to eat out where we live and where you guys live or whatever, down to there where you could pick where you wanted to go nobody was closed. You could sit at the bar and have a drink, which is kind of neat with the social interaction. One bar had stuff between people on the sides, only one that I was in. And
1: uh, I, I, I question about that interesting. Uh, you say you, you're talking about plexi plexiglass, plexiglass in between was, that, was that bar popular? Was it doing a yeah, bit business? Yeah, it, was, or, it was
2: okay, but I, I went, we went in for a quick drink, and, and when you sit there, it's it like if there was one bar that had it, so it was one person, and then if you were sitting next to me, I got to talk to you through you know, you can hear me because it's not sealed, but and then there was a couple other places where they would let two people sit, so a husband and wife could sit together. But it was still—it was like almost walking into the place and putting on a heavy jacket. It's like Jesus, you know, stop it. I want—I want to be—you know—it's not—it's not normal. But the thing that was that hit you right between the eyes, really big time, is the feeling we got for the three weeks were there was was like as about as close to way to where you used to feel when it was a normal thing where we would all go out for something to eat or something to drink, and it was no big deal because it was normal and you felt great. And then you know w- what keeps hitting you right in the forehead, especially for us, because we're all in the business is how critically important that interaction and and the social environment that restaurant and hospitality create. You can't, you can't survive without it. I mean, can you imagine if, if you had to live like this for the rest of your lives with, even with a 25 or 50% occupancy rate, right? it's a pain in the, first of all, it's a pain in the butt. And second of all, it's just, it's not really any fun. So to go back down there, it was like, wow. And I, you know, you can take a political stand. I guess you could do whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, maybe we're past the point where we've got to be a, we, we have got to be less afraid of dying. And I'm 74 years old, so I'm one of the guys that are at risk. I got my first shot. I get my next one in a couple of days. But the feeling you get living your life in, in an open society environment where the restaurants are open, that's so strong and so comforting a feeling. It makes you feel so good. I'm not saying you, you, you want to throw throw away all caution but i'm not so sure that you know you, you just don't want to give that up and and, and keep it clamped down and uh it, we got to be we got to be socially conscious but but opening this country up and taking florida's lead is to me smart i mean the ones that are still locked down tight i mean like california and new york i mean forget it you could, our friend is going to be able to sell some of those underground heating systems because they're going to be growing their own lemons in times square pretty soon
1: yeah, I mean, also, Russ Finch.
2: yeah it, but it was just so so overwhelming what a how how important and what a good feeling it was and then after the first week it was really crazy because you didn't even you could go where you wanted to go if you wanted to go there so it wasn't like this guy's closed or, that guy's not open and, and it didn't look to me i think we saw i think we saw like maybe two places that were closed and they my, my friend said you know yeah, they might have got hurt by this whole thing, but they weren't really that great. I think the thing about Delray's is so many places you can't you can't not have great service, and you can't not have I'd say great food. Chicken wings and chicken wings. But everybody was serving good portions, nobody was gouging on price. It was great. It was great.
3: So in the industry we keep on hearing that, uh, you know, and it sounds so severe and, and downright cruel. That this pandemic is is Darwinian with regarding operations, so that the bad operations needed to go away anyway in some ca- you know in, in some cases right. no, no, so, absolutely. you know that sounds mean, but uh, maybe maybe there is some truth to that and, 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 it's, and it's playing out
2: well i'll tell you what i, I don't know someday some somebody will do a study and they'll find out just what kind of damage this you know Obviously we didn't cause it. So it's nobody in the United States' fault that we have this this issue in our country. But how we manage it and what we do to the people, I think, and even if people have the best intentions and think that hey, by keeping it some people think by keeping it closed down is the greatest way to go, whatever. But my feeling is and I I don't I I hope I'm around to see it. Somebody's gonna do a study someday and they're gonna go, you know what? Shutting this country down did more damage than you know, I don't want any loss of life is too much lost life. There's no question about that, but it's uh, it, it, it's it's hurting our children and all kinds of stuff. So you got to try to stay away from that because you don't want to get depressed, you know?
1: <laughs> you know, talk about our – go back to our uh, operators and all that. Uh, I'm I'm always amazed at uh, the ingenuity and the creativity of restaurateurs. And, uh, and now you start to see that, Jay, just that description that you just gave of uh, Delray and, and Florida in general. You have a lot of New York City area operators all of a sudden opening up pop-ups or or even not even more than pop-ups in Florida just because of that. One quote was, and I, I don't recall the story because there's there's not just one or two stories, there's, there's dozens of them of that thing happening, is that they're besieged with employees from the New York
3: operations who want to go to Florida to work. People want to go to work. It reminds me in a way of uh, when Katrina devastated New Orleans, all of a sudden, the food service scene in Houston and Charleston were elevated because everybody was fleeing New Orleans and going to places like going to places like that.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, too, I think the, the good news out of this bad news is, is that we keep talking about our industries on the verge of exploding. And I think what it does, all of us are the suppliers better hold on because, you know, everybody's being careful with inventories and stuff like that. I think it's going to overwhelm some suppliers. You know, we're we're, we're, we're making sure we got plenty of glassware in our distribution partners' warehouse and stuff like that. But you know, the pent up demand—it's going to be really interesting to watch because I think it's going yeah. To be...
1: you're, you're definitely I, I in talking having different conversations with different types of people in our industry over the last month or two or three, you 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 start to realize that how, first of all, everybody's watching inventory because nobody knows. nobody You can't say that, okay, in 90 days, everything's going to open up. Nobody knows. So they, they don't want to have too much inventory. The, the, they're trying to hold, you know, hang on to cash because inventory is cash. But at the same time, to your point, Jay, when this breaks, you're not going to be able to flip a switch and all of a sudden get product whether you're a manufacturer of the product or you buy it from factories or whatever, you just can't move product around the world as quickly as it's probably everybody's going to want. So, And and now if you're trying to move product now in particular, if you believe what you read in the wall street journal, or whatever, the, Transportation costs are either three or five times uh, what they were pre-COVID because the containers are in the wrong place. You got ports that are backed up, and on and on and on and on and on. So there's a lot of ripple effect back through the supply chain system.
3: There's um, been a lot of articles recently uh, in the general business press about these companies that are bu- that buy up I- equipment and durable goods dimes on the dollar or in some cases nickels or pennies on the dollar and they store it and because the stuff a commercial grade product lasts for lasts forever and they're just storing it waiting for the things to open up and that's sounds to me like a really great idea right now in fact they're, they're turning things away because there's so much inventory out there but to jay's point if, if things break loose in uh, within 12 months or thereafter, these guys have made the right decision. They're sitting on gold mines.
2: Yeah, they, well, I, I used to deal years ago with quite a few guys. You, know, you, you can't use used glassware, but some of them used to uh, uh, buy new stuff, and they would make it part of their package. But there was one guy up in Boston. This guy was amazing. He would buy – you know, someone's going out of business or retiring, he'd go in and he'd buy the, anything that was worth buying from, like, freezers to stoves and all that, bring them into his facility, completely refurbish them, put them on pallets, shrink wrap them, they literally were were about as close as you could get that unit to brand new as possible, and and, uh, and even back then when we weren't dealing with any of this, just because of the raw cost. I mean, his business was was a great business, did a great job.
1: Jay, Jay, I've got a question on the uh, on your uh, on your journey, your sojourn down to the Sunshine State. When you were out at a bar or a restaurant, did you get any? feeling any vibe or maybe you asked the question because you're a curious guy that they had changed their operation in any dramatic way smaller men we've we've talked about operators that are operating trying to operate during this during the uh covid period that they reduce their menu size or they change their menu in any way or change their serve did you get that feeling at all that they changed or did did they just yeah yeah It's a great question wait wipe the tables down and go
2: no yeah no i mean i think that I think if anything, service in general improved. My guess is that even though Delray was open, that, I mean, we've been down there, just a couple of times I went down there, it was like, you know, people are at the bar three deep, you know, you're bumping elbows. I mean, so it wasn't quite like that, but I think that service got better. I would say I saw some menus that were adjusted slightly. Matter of fact, I talked to, to a bartender, we were all sitting at this one bar for a happy hour and I was just asking that question. I said, how? And she said, you know what we did? We just took a hard look at our menu and said, why are we carrying this? It's not really that great a seller. It's not. wasn't a very hard thing to do. So, you know, the menus, it wasn't like they went from 30 items on a menu down to 10. They might have a few fringe things and it was no big deal.
3: Again, it's Darwinian in a way. Yeah. yeah, Well,
1: you're just pruning the menu a little bit, which you probably should do anyway. Well, it kind
2: of goes back to what we were talking about. I mean, early on, months ago, I mean, the reality of it was, I think one thing that I've noticed, too, is like in my town of York, Pennsylvania, the, the inspection systems here, I mean, they can literally come in, and if they don't like what they see, they can clear that restaurant out and shut it down. So here we have... Things you see, they look to be pretty darn sanitary. But I mean, I've been, in, you know, places in big cities and all that that are world class restaurants. You walk in a back room, back into the kitchen. It ought to be nicer than it was. And I think that we're never going to go. I think we're never going to go back there. I mean, I, I I I think that everybody's learned a lot because people now are noticing that. So at the end of the day, you could get sick from eating some food that was contaminated, not necessarily with COVID. So I think everybody's gonna demand the, the buying public's gonna demand you, you better keep your place clean.
3: So you so you think you think service has improved? You were you're happy with the levels of service. How about the cuisine? Were you happy with the quality and well I'm a volume
2: guy, so you know, once I get past the volume side of it, yeah, quality does come into play. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the the food was good. I, I think that down there the happy hours they they do a great job. The prices are pretty reasonable. Uh no, the food. I, the food I thought was great. The, I one thing I did notice though, and I was talking to because we used to hang out at the Seagate every day almost, and so I got to know the people pretty well. Matter of fact, I did a, a glassware presentation to them, and they're going to re, revamp the whole bar area, and stuff like that. So anyway, I was talking to the people, and I said, you know, well, you know, younger, younger, not kids, but people in their twenties, tending bar and all. I think one thing I think happens is I think everybody was tipping as much as they could afford to tip. That was good. Nobody, nobody, you know, I talked really? to people and I said, how's it going? And they said, you know, we're making a little bit less because, again, it's not quite put, you know, thousands of people at the bar. But they said, no, customers have been really, really generous. And one of them had been a uh, a, not a recipient, not a victim, of someone who came in and had maybe a, he didn't tell me the amounts, but maybe he had a $50 bar tab and left them a $100 tip, that kind of thing. So I think people, I think that that's an interesting but People are nicer.
1: Thing. Pre- more appreciative
2: people that's right people f- understand wow didn't we not really understand what we had here as a country i mean think about our country i mean from coast to coast you can go anywhere any place i mean you watch the food shows there's guys out on route 66 now with the uh, places popping up they do good business well you know it's not like that in other parts of the world even when we didn't have the pandemic you know, I mean, the, the hospitality industry in our country, I think we were really spoiled because it's like it's not like uh, we don't have enough places to go. It's like, oh, where are we going tonight? You know, you got so much to choose from. Sometimes it gets difficult. So I think people people woke up to that and, and they're supporting their, their their local restaurants really nicely, I think, and taking care of the people which is
1: good. Yeah, I think people have really come around to, Jay, to your point uh, earlier about the connection factor, connecting with other human beings and how important that is to all of our mental health. And in some cases, our physical health too. And the you know, restaurant business and the hospitality world in general, travel, tourism, all that plays a really special role. And it's beyond just the economics. The economics are certainly there. You can you can quantify that. But uh, what it does to a, a community's mental health, or whatever it's it's hard to, to hard to quantify but you know it's real
2: yeah it was in part of the trip was you know my wife said Sandy said do you want to fly down and I go because the rates are cheap they go yeah no nah, let's drive because I you know I didn't, I might have to go make make a couple dealer calls while I was down there I said yeah, just take our car because I took all my my work stuff with me and actually just getting out of the house and getting in the car and driving for two days it wasn't a hard drive I mean it's I think 1100 miles from here to Delray so you know, we, we took our time. We stopped at Amelia Island, and you know, it, 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 and I was like, ah, it "Doesn't feel good to get out of York," you know, not because Yorks a bad place, but it was just we were doing something that was more normal. You know,
1: was it di- noticeably different at Amelia Island versus uh, Delray or versus Florida? No,
2: Amelia Island was pretty was was pretty much up and running. We were we we stopped for lunch at a. A place and it just happened that one nice thing is when you're in full season down there it's pretty busy so we pulled up right next to this little place that had a tiki bar on a beach and they you know we had asked the guy at a gas station how's the food base oh it's great you know they got good pub food and yeah they were they were open and operating full, full tilt it wasn't crowded obviously though so because it wasn't summer either they had the heat lamps going and stuff like that but yeah no it was it was a great experience and people people i, I think are we're just friendlier. People at the bars were talking to each other and being careful, and you know that kind of stuff. I hate—I I hated to come back, but I missed my grandkids a little, so we had to come back.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. Home is
2: still home. Oh yeah, home is home. No doubt about it. We're going to go back though. We we're talking about that. We're trying to figure out when we might want to go back again before spring. Oh.
1: So, well, this—it's great. I'm—I'm I'm really thrilled that Florida is leading the way. Uh, hopefully, uh, out of all this, uh, I think we'd all agree that. You know, you can start to see. I know just from the tone of the things that come across my uh, my transom, my radar screen, the tone of the conversations, the the activity. It seems like the food service and hospitality business. While we're not there yet, in in. In a macro sense, there are pockets where it is coming back. It's starting to get some traction. Uh, So hopefully by June, July, we see some real tangible progress and a bigger thing. I think the vaccines, and and I don't know, we didn't talk much about vaccines, but I think the fact that the vaccine, the various vaccines are getting spread out now and and people are getting the vaccines, I think we're still at a reasonably low level. But as that grows, that'll also give everybody a higher comfort level to, to get out and mingle a little bit
2: yeah there was only one one depressing part of the trip because my our friends have a condo and they're on the eighth floor. they have a nice view of the ocean and they have a really great view because they, they they're right on right on one of the main inland waterways and you know there's restaurants on both sides so a lot of boat traffic tremendous amount of boat traffic. but as we left Delray, I was depressed because I wondered how come I don't have a 60 foot boat you I saw some stuff come through and I go, yeah, okay. when
1: you have a 60-foot boat though there's a problem because as soon as you get the 60-foot boat you need an 80-foot boat and if you had an 80-foot boat as soon as you get that you need a 100-foot boat that's crazy business that boat business
2: yeah it's crazy we we met a young guy and his his wife they had two beautiful labs. so we went dog fields we stopped and we were talking to him come to find out i asked him what he did well i'm I'm the captain on on a boat. the kid had to be 28 30 years old and he was really nice. And he, he went to maritime school and learned how to do all the navigation stuff and all that. And he said, yeah, he says, right from where that condo is that you're staying on, on that dock, we got the hundred footer that's sitting out there. I said, really? So we were ta- we were talking. I said, the family that owns this, what do they do? And they were in the cattle meat business. And they had like a quarter of a million head of cattle and deals in cattle futures and all this stuff. So we were talking and I said, I know this is a crazy question. I said, but what kind of, you can't say fuel economy. There's no economy in that thing. And it's how much, you know, how much does this thing use at, at cruising speed? It was like a couple hundred gallons an hour. And it holds 3,700 3, or some odd, some odd gallons to cap it off. I said, Jesus, that, will you just pull up and hand the guy an American Express card? He, go, he starts to laugh. He says, no. He said, when we go and we cruise to the islands or wherever we're going, he said, we have a, a, a system. Well, we have, to, we have to estimate our fuel, and we have to pre-wire money to the fuel stops at these different locations on our trip where we're going to top off the tanks. And that's something I never thought about. It's, it's not like you just roll up and go, hey, here's my Visa card. Give me 6,000 gallons of gas <laughs> or diesel fuel. But it was interesting. I, I It was fun. But then I, it left me
3: wondering. So the owners are in the cattle business, so it just shows you that everything always comes back to food service. I'm telling you seriously all
1: right guys listen this has been a great session I want to I encourage everybody to go back and take a look at uh, take a listen uh, you can look to but take a listen to uh, those three great episodes we have Russ Finch Eileen Garcia and Greg Traverso, all of them just really Im- incredible all very very different but still, Really incredible episodes, and we're we're really thrilled. To have them. we have the best guests, guys. I have to tell you, we really do have some great guests. And in speaking of that, I'm not going to announce it now, but we've got some. In the next couple episodes, you're going to be people are going to be blown away. We've got some old faces coming back. We've got some great new faces. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so, uh, Jay, thanks a lot to, for uh, giving us the laydown uh, on uh, the Wild West of Florida. It's not really the Wild West. It sounds like it's relatively normal. Yep,
2: yep. Matter of fact, I'm going in the pack right now. I'm headed- there. You
1: go hopefully that's a harbinger of good things to come so great being with you guys as always as I said as much as I love our guests and I do love all of our guests I really enjoy the, sometimes when we can just catch up like this too and uh, our listeners are great and I'm sure they appreciate the banter back and forth so guys have a great one and uh, enjoy your weekend and happy March take care bye
0: this episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Tabletopjournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of Hospitality Tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.